listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. One of my recent pastimes has been to revisit every single thing that I've ever read. I don't know that I necessarily recommend this, although it's been really a remarkable exercise, especially as it relates to spiritual texts uh, and the like. One of my favorite authors in this uh, realm is Ken Wilbur. And the reason why I like Ken Wilbur so much is he defines himself as a map maker. I think this adequately, more than adequately, explains kind of how his contribution to the whole contemporary spiritual canon really shows up. He's a map maker. And it really puts all of this teaching in kind of a different space as opposed to anything dogmatic it's basically just saying here's how this kind of works and for those of us with kind of grasping minds you know what is this all about what is this it can be very very helpful to have someone lay it all out and then rip the rug right out from under okay very helpful. So, to this afternoon I was, I just got finished uh, rollerblading with the dog and then she and I went for a quick swim and I uh, went inside and grabbed, I married really well in case you haven't recognized that, uh, <laughs> way over my head. And one of the reasons why is she's just a killer cook and she made these cookies that just Oh, they were nirvana. And they're chocolate chip, which I'm not really picky when it comes to chocolate chip, but there's something just about these things. And so I eat through three of them, and which is way too much, but it was there wasn't really any stopping me. This was this was and it was very interesting watching this happen. It was full on addiction, you know, just watching the grasp. Um, so I'm witnessing the grasping and witnessing the whole experience and this experience is still happening and I finally get to the last bite of the last cookie on the plate and it tasted so freaking good but was it because it was the last bite what had my mind thrown on what kind of story had my mind authored it was a very interesting experience and it also brought back all sorts of memories as a kid. That last cookie in the cookie jar always had a certain magic to it, a certain majesty, a certain divinity to it that the first one didn't quite have. And most of you could just say, McAllister, that's all supply and demand. Maybe you're right, okay? But it, there was something really kind of cool about how that experience still occurs. And the same thing then essentially happened when I walked into my office and I said, well, let's see, how's this Dharma talk going to work tonight? And I pulled 
I pulled off one of uh, Wilbur's books kind of at random. I kind of shielded my eyes and grabbed and then, aha! And as I started reading it, I had that same kind of cookie experience because I just opened it up at random. And I think you will find that what he's pointing to, the map that he's drawing, is something that I've spent a great deal of time hammering you guys, <laughs> just slamming you with. But it always is helpful to have somebody else say it uh, because then it doesn't sound like it's just me babbling on. So hopefully you'll recognize some of the similarities as to what he's pointing out and kind of what I've been trying to point out. So I'll walk you through this, and it will give us kind of a guide to tonight's talk. If um, you're expecting a McAllister original, uh, sorry, uh, I'll give you your money back if you want. Actually, I won't Brad will, but, uh, but I'm hoping that this will take us into, I hope, I hope actually it will deepen what it is that we're actually facing, what it is that we're actually dealing with in this very moment, okay? Um, I also think that it can be very helpful, very helpful in with this particular format that, that we're going to jump into here tonight, if you stop me. Mike, wait, can you say something about that? Can you? Okay. So this is a little bit different. Normally, I'll pipe up for, you know, 20 or so minutes, and then you guys will ask questions. I just want to kind of experiment tonight and see if this can carry us into more of a dialogue, a very, very conscious dialogue, but a dialogue nonetheless, okay? So um, I'll do my best to be very aware of where you guys are. Uh, please do your best to um, uh, jump in if, if something resonates or you don't quite, you're not quite following something, okay? I'm going to change some of his words a little bit. By the way, the book is uh, The Eye of the Spirit, okay? Again, by Ken Wilber. He talks about uh, actually uncovering this ever-present awareness, or this witness, this seer, this noticer, this watcher that I talk about so much. He says, we begin with the realization that the pure self, or transpersonal witness, is an ever-present consciousness. Even when we doubt its existence, you are right now aware of the book that I'm holding. My voice, my face, this room, the window, the sky, the sound of the freeway. You can sit back and simply notice that you are aware of all those objects floating by in your awareness. Clouds float through the sky. Thoughts float through the mind. And when you notice them, you are effortlessly aware of them. There is a simple, effortless, spontaneous witnessing of whatever happens to be present. In that simple witnessing awareness, you might notice, I am aware of my body, and therefore, I am not just my body. I am aware of my mind, and therefore, I am not just my mind. I am aware of myself, and therefore, I am not just that self. Rather, I seem somehow to be the witness of my body, my mind, myself. This is truly fascinating. I can see my thoughts, so I'm not those thoughts. I am aware of bodily sensations, so I am not those sensations. 
I am aware of my emotions, so I am not merely those emotions. I am somehow the witness of all of that. But what is this witness itself? Who or what is it that witnesses all of these objects, that watches the clouds float by, and thoughts float by, and objects float by? Who or what is this true seer, this pure witness, which is at the very core of who I am? That simple witnessing awareness the traditions maintain is spirit itself, is the enlightened mind itself, is Buddha nature itself, is God itself in its entirety. Are you aware right now of the sound of my voice? Are you aware of the sound of the freeway, of what I look like, of what your butt feels like sitting right now? Are you aware of those things? That awareness is spirit itself. Kind of puts us into a whole different area, doesn't it? How simple is that? As a matter of fact, spirit is the only thing that is never not there. It's ever-present. It is always there. In other words, the ultimate reality is not something seen, but rather this ever-present witness, this ever-present seer. Things that are seen come and go, are happy or are sad, pleasant or painful, but the seer is none of those things, and it does not come and go. The witness or seer does not waver, does not wobble, does not enter that stream of time. The witness is not an object, not a thing seen, but the ever-present seer of all things. The simple witness that is the eye of spirit, the center of the cyclone, the opening that is God, the clearing that is pure emptiness. Sound familiar? That clearing that opening, that spacious awareness that is always there is emptiness itself, is spirit itself. And it's something we all share equally. It's something that shines equally among, through, with, and as all of us. There is never a time that you do not have access to this witnessing awareness. At every single moment, there is a spontaneous awareness of whatever happens to be present. And that simple, spontaneous, effortless awareness is ever-present spirit itself. Even if you think that you don't see it, that very w awareness is it. And thus, the ultimate state of consciousness, intrinsic spirit itself, is not hard to reach but impossible to avoid. In other words, it's never not spirit. All things are spirit. All things are spirit-infused. 
So the ultimate reality is not anything that is seen. It is the seer. Spirit is not an object. It is a radical, ever-present subject. And thus, it is not something that is going to jump out in front of you like a rock, an image, an idea, a light, a feeling, an insight, a luminous cloud, an intense vision, or a sensation of great bliss. Those are all nice, but they are all objects, which is what spirit is not. Thus, as you rest in the witness, you won't see anything in particular. The true seer is nothing that can be seen, so you simply begin by disidentifying with any and all objects. Where does that leave me? If there's a spark of consciousness that has no identity, mm -hmm. that's separate from me, and mm -hmm. my identity is whatever it is. If right, the mask of that. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. So if I die, the spark goes back, but is that me? Is the spark you? Yeah. Sure. Does it know it's me? I don't know. What do you think? Or let me rephrase that. What do you think? I think that my identity is wrapped up with my ego. Okay. And the spark is something impersonal that's just part of a bigger spark. Right. And if that's true, then it's just like a hitchhiker to me. Why do I care about it? Right. Why, do you, why does the... If you're a... That's such a great way of putting it. You're a hitchhiker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, why do you care? Now you can keep the, keep the mic there. Why do you care, in other words, about this stuff when that's what's real? Is that the question? But it's not me. Right. It's not you, but it's not... Ready for this? It's not you, but it's not not you. So all we're doing here, the map that's being drawn, is a picture of greater clarity, of greater completion, if you will, that we spend our lives doing what? Believing in what? Believing in what? That is the whole story. Should I know? Um, maybe not. <laughs> what is it that you have always thought was the whole story, Laura? You never thought you knew the whole story. Okay, well, that's, that's actually a great sign. But ego tends to think it's the whole story, right? And then an ego is every single bit of self. Or, put another way, everything that is personal. And so when we're shown this radiant clarity that is 100% totally impersonal, it shakes loose that bondage. And we start seeing that the personal is only part of the story, that the ego is only a fraction of the story, that the whole story incorporates that spark of which you speak, as well as the hitchhiker. The hitchhiker is not wrong. It's not false. Some traditions like to say that. It's the false self. It's not false. It's right here, okay? It's just not the whole story. And so what this work is about is creating a greater wholeness. And in that wholeness, there is peace. In the midst 
of everything that the ego fights for. It changes the ego's behavior. It is no longer a pugilist. It can't be, because it's been seen. Okay, the seer watches what? Where does it shine its radiance? Equally everywhere, right? And what does it see? What object does it see? Ego. Once ego is seen, it's like an actor that feels like it has fooled every single member of the audience into the reality of what's going on and the house lights have suddenly gone up. It's like, okay. Yeah? Now, of course, you don't have to believe any of this. Ego actually doesn't want to, okay? Because this is totally threatening. It actually puts it into, takes it out of the, as I sometimes say, out of the driver's seat. Okay. But if you think you get this, if there's something in you right now that's going, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. Ego has just come in through the back door. All right? This isn't about getting anything. This is about letting go of everything. I saw a hand, was it, oh, please, over here, let's get the uh, magic wand. I'll try to make some sense. Um, so a as, as one recognizes the seer, um, it just occurred to me that by um, understanding that there's something more than ego and more than the small self, d does um, that cause a more enlightened person to um, not think there's sort of a shift of what's valuable and what isn't valuable. I mean, certain things that we would grasp for or fear wouldn't have as much importance if you realize that that's not all of it, that there is. Is it sort of um, um, as you as you are able to um, witness things? and experience infinity or does that um, cause attachment you talk a lot about being attached or yeah. um, pushing things away does that sort of that power of the ego dissipate yes okay. radically okay radically and this is where rather spontaneously as those previously very shall we say valuable or important things that we held on to it's seen witnessed as detritus, as baggage, mm -hmm. as stuff to be let go of. And in the letting go, what happens is there's an, a way that we can kind of, we see them as trivial. So when we let go, mm -hmm. um, would the Buddhist, Buddhism say that um, um, the, the infinity brings other things in uh, that may come from a power greater than ourselves? Um, I think infinity is entirely greater than the self. Whether they're ourselves or somebody else's, it's entirely greater always. Mm -hmm. However, spirit or infinity is not an object. Right? Mm -hmm. It's not an object. It's actually the source and sum total of all objects. Right? So it casts God in a totally different set of clothes. God is no longer able to be um, 
identified as that man w with the beard or that lady wearing a tuxedo or whatever your version of God is, mm -hmm. that's just an object that is then seen. The seer itself is spirit, not the object. So is it more like a process or an experience or an awareness? Well, do you mind if I ask you a question? Is what God. is God mm -hmm. uh, a process or an experience? Or an awareness. Or an awareness? Mm -hmm. I would say God and infinity and awareness and being and spirit all point us in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But they are not an omega point. They are not something that we can grasp. And the minute it becomes something that we can grasp, identify, understand, comprehend, we have just turned it into something personal. All right? So we're trying to fit infinity into a bounded space. And what does this do to infinity? It, it chops it. it. Into an yeah. It makes infinity into an object. And that's precisely a wrong turn along the path. you said once I say oh I understand this that's ego sneaking in yeah. so what do we say I uh, <laughs> yeah. I I accept this I embrace this I because now and then I do get it right I right. mean but I, do, I don't get it I right experience it right okay. and the experience itself can be seen right Mm -hmm. Right. The experience itself is simply a pointer. So what is it that we say? Give me an example of some of those things that you just said. I get it. I've experienced What, what did she just say? They're, they're great. They're, it's like a whole... I understand it. That's another good one. All right? I experienced it. I accept it. That's a good one. Yeah. Now, do the same thing. Articulate yourself in the same way impersonally. And that's all you need to say. Uh, can you give me an example? Acceptance. Not it, because then it becomes an object. Oh, acceptance arises. Acceptance. Yeah. Experience. Love. Right? And then what happens is you can't speak in those terms without plugging yourself in to the impersonal. The impersonal is what gives that. The impersonal has no need for anything, no desire, no want. It doesn't move. It's not bound by past or future. Why? Because it sees past and future. It's not bound by any kind of attachment because it sees attachment. It sees greed and aversion. So what really happens here is we start recognizing that the only way 
to let the infinite meet itself through our experience is to shut up. Don't move. Be. Do you see that difference? Are you sure? That which is not sure is what veils God from our sight. Okay? Because that which is not sure is trying to understand. And this isn't about understanding. Think about that word. It's such a beautiful word. Understand. Meaning, girded, supported, foundational. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what stands on anything? That which is separate that which needs support. Does infinity need any support? No. Does the impersonal need any support? No. Acceptance. Oh. Shh. Shh. <laughs> Shut up. That means that, as I experience it and understand it, that infinity or spirit infuses everything. Because again, by definition, infinity is everywhere, mm -hmm. always. And that means that it's in everything. Mm -hmm. It's in the rock, it's in this microphone. Everything is spirit. Right. Is that the way you understand it? That's the way it is. That's the way what is? Infinity. Is that the way you understand it? Mm -hmm. Okay. The minute you let go of that, right. realization occurs, but not until then. Right. I understand that. No, you don't. <laughs> okay, but, but that's what's getting in the way. Correct. I, 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 I know. Okay, so, so then I want to push you a little bit. I know. When are you going to be ready? I don't know. Okay. As long as that eye is there, right. you're trapped. Right. And my job is to relentlessly pound at that thing. Right. So when you decide, when you decide that it matters, there's a new world waiting. Mm -hmm. A whole new world. Until then, this is spiritual masturbation. Okay? This is something that just may as well just break out the popcorn, get the coke, ooh, nice talk, Mike, you know, whatever. It's something really that every one of us needs to consider. And it's one of the things that the traditions do such a good job of. They put you into these pressure cookers. They put you into these sashins, you know, where for seven days, or if it's Vipassana, it's ten days, or if you're actually in a Vajrayana tradition, you might go for three years, three months, three weeks, three days, you know, that whole thing. But they hold you there. They don't give you a choice. And this is why this type of teaching may not work in 21st century America. Because people want to understand it. They want to get it. Yeah. And so the minute that that me or that I decides this really matters. I mean, really. 
then suddenly the opportunity exists, but not until then. And that's why I think that what we're doing here really is such a radical experiment. This is such a radical experiment. Hi. Hi. When you were, uh, just after you finished reading and you were discussing, um, you made an analogy to the stage, the actor on the stage, yeah. the audience, the house lights come up and suddenly the actor is left with sort of, uh, well, there he is exposed right. well, for just the actor that it is. Right. So in a, a life experience, you're in a discussion or whatever and suddenly you're, you've shown the light on yourself, on your, that self. Um, the seer actually is employed yeah, and sees, right? Sees in this case, the small self or ego. Sees that this dialogue, behavior, right. whatever, you know, what it is. But I don't always see the actor going, oh, <laughs> you know, right. collapsing on stage in the bright light of this shine. <laughs> Right, and, uh, right, actually, up. <laughs> right, and I will, I will come right out and say that it's not going to. As a matter of fact, it will fight that to the death. Okay. And the inertia uh, is intense, especially for those of us with massive egos. We have to become bloody horses. In other words, the, I've told you the story, the Zen story about how in practice you have four kinds of practitioners. You have one type of practitioner that just needs to see the shadow of the master's whip as a horse, you know, and it starts running. You have another one that needs to hear the crack. You have another one that needs to feel it. And then you have, my particular kind was, you have to have, or you have bloody horses. They don't, they don't budge, right? And Egos, egos that are very contracted and have lived really successfully, okay, guiding the self-system through all its trials and tribulations successfully, you know, bloody horses usually. <laughs> and that's why I referred to, uh, you know, Brad's last comment, does, is, does, this, does this matter? Because it then becomes a practice. It becomes something that we constantly have to revisit and revisit and revisit. And the light of that awareness needs to be turned up again and again and again so that the ego itself feels so exposed, so seen, and the witness or audience in this metaphor, the audience becomes so aware of itself that what's, what's left is simply infinity dancing. Ego's there, ego helps, but it's a tool. Ego is a divine manifestation of infinity, just like everything else. It's spirit in action, just like everything else. But it's no longer the whole story. And not only does it know it, it knows it can't fool anyone anytime soon. And there's a grieving process. There's, a, <laughs> there's just this slow release. 
but this release, this slow release happens and it's supported by practice mm -hmm. every day. And, and so the final, or not final, but I, I, I assume it is just as a process and would be for the rest of my life, I'll be in process, but that's coming to just uh, more and more expansive acceptance in all places. More and more seeing. More and more seeing. More and more witnessing. More and more witnessing. Okay, I guess. More, yeah. more. more and more. More then more turning up the light. More. Yeah. Right. Constant exposure. Constant exposure. And the witness is never not employed. It's always there. <laughs> right. Full employment. Full employment. <laughs> it's guaranteed job security. Ego wants that same type of security, but it can't. Ego wants to manage infinity. Ego wants to run the universe. It can't. The universe always wins. Always. Always. I fought the law and the law won, right? Yeah, that's exactly what the ego said to Isaac Newton. I want to fight your laws. Yeah, it's, it's a great way of putting it. The universe will win. Lovingly. We have time for one, one more, if anybody else. Oh. Oh, you'll be our last. You'll be our last one. If you, it's okay, if you guys don't mind, if you don't mind waiting. Yeah. I'm, I'm new, so it's my first experience. The picture I'm getting, Michael, mm -hmm. is of the ego with its arm around the seer, wanting every now and again that when the seer sees something that the ego is kind of interested in, the ego wants to do something with it all the time. Right. Right. It does, it does some kind of categorization. It either likes that or it doesn't like that. And it says, ooh, and does something. And the whole point is to stop it doing something. The whole point is to recognize that the ego is not standing next to the seer, but the ego is the emperor in his new clothes, and the seer is every single thing other than the emperor. Now the emperor, naked as she is, or naked as he is, still believes all the press releases. <laughs> right? Right? So if I could just adjust your metaphor, it's not like it's got its arm around the witness. The witness is too big. How big is the sky? Right? It's that, you understand? So it's, it's, it's unquantifiably. They're n I'll just shut up, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but the ego, on the other hand, is contracted, minuscule, nasty, brutish, short, and it wants to negotiate. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean we don't look at the ego with total tenderness. Just like we look at children who are misbehaving. We look at them from our perspective, from a broader, more expansive perspective. We look at them and smile. And that's exactly what the seer, what the witness is doing all the time. It is smiling infinitely. 
I had to. I'm sorry. It's an infinite smile. The witness is an infinite smile. Thanks for the great question. By the way, with your accent, could you just talk to me for the rest of the night? Yeah, I'll do the next talk. If would, you, would you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. We have Iris over here. Mikey, if we could pass the... Uh, thanks. Pass that over to Iris. Thank you. Pressure's on, Iris, because this is the last question of the night. So. I'll give you good stuff. Though. All right, all right. So how does the ego serve us? How does the ego serve us? Let me start by telling you how it does not serve us and how it does serve us should arise in the gaps. It does not serve us by leading us constantly into temptation, into doubt, into aversion, into greed. It's always in a push-pull scenario. It's, it's, it's always, always leaning one way or the other. I think of like the Bobo doll when I was a little kid. You know, you hit Bobo, the, it would tip over and come back up. Or like the Weeble, wobbles, but ego is always in that space, okay? But it's never centered. It's never centered, right? So ego serves us when consciousness is brought to bear, and usually only then. I mean, ego, the small self, can actually help get us lots of temporary things uh, in, in kind of cool ways, especially if you're successful. If you're successful, you're very aware of how ego has helped kind of manage things, all right? But most people don't show up to spiritual practice unless they realize they've hit somewhat of a dead end Ego can't get them through this one, all right? But ego has served up until this point. Now, when the impersonal begins to inform ego, or put another way, when the infinite begins to inform the personal, right? That personal then becomes a different kind of being, rather spontaneously, sometimes over a great deal of time, sometimes real quickly, and instead of being about negotiation, this self that has consciously infused the infinite, that is literally the infinite meeting itself as it moves through the world, that type of person, is, are you ready for this? That type of person is helpful. But they don't just help others. They help the small self in the process and other small selves by reminding the universe to see itself through everything. Okay? It becomes a very natural expression of infinity in this moment and in this moment and in this moment because it's unhindered. It's undefended. It's open. And it knows it. It's not trying to jump back in. It, it knows the law. 
and that the law won. Thanks so much for coming tonight.